feel like the Lord laid something on my heart I want to share with you tonight. If you have your Bible, uh, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter number 7. And uh, this morning in my prayer time, the Lord kind of began to remind me of some things that have been happening in my life the last few weeks. And so I want to talk to you from Matthew chapter 7. And uh, you can stay seated. I'm going to read quickly. It says this. It says, ask and it shall be given to you. Somebody say ask. He said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? And he said, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Somebody say, you've got to ask. God speaks to us. This is a, um, a part of the culmination of the Sermon on the Mount that, that goes over several chapters and Jesus begins to wrap it up and he tells us we, we need to ask if we want to receive. And, and so I, I want to talk to you just for the next few minutes about uh, from this topic, keep asking. Anybody ever uh, ha- had your children ask you a question? You'll probably know where I'm going with this. My, I got a four-year-old. He's about to be five and about uh, about 19 days, he's going to be five years old. And I promise you, he asked me 762 questions minimum every day. And you know what time of year it is, right? Christmas is just around the corner. Thanksgiving's now over. Christmas shopping has begun. Black Friday kicked off. And Christmas lists are being formed. This is an important time in the life of children because they're trying to figure out what am I going to ask for this year? Now, my two older ones, they don't believe in Santa, and, uh, and, and, and they're, they're beyond that stage. But, but I've got a little one, and, and, and he's trying to decide what am I going to ask for. And so um, it, it's amazing to me that at some point in growing up, it seems that we adults lose the ability to ask for things. I don't know, maybe it's pride. Maybe it is stubbornness, maybe it's fear of things not working out like we hope they will, and fear of rejection. Um, Maybe perhaps you've refused to pull over and ask for directions when you were lost because you didn't want to admit that you were really lost. Anybody can relate. Not want to ask for help because then you'd have to humble yourself and go ask somebody who really knows what they're doing. some point in our growth process, it gets harder and harder to ask for things, especially for men. Can I get an amen from our women? Amen. The truth is, we, we lose the ability to ask like children do. We do. And, and children are persistent. As I was uh, kind of thinking and praying and studying for this, I began to think about my 11-year-old, Rowan. And uh, Rowan, he's, he's a tomcat, man. You He's always got a scheme going on in his head. He's always planning something. There's always something he's got his sights set on. And, and he'll get something in his head that he wants. And then he will proceed to pester the life out of my wife and I. Day 
after day. He has importunity in his asking. Is he will come and he will ask and, and, and you know typically it's something that he got a harebrained idea just in, the, in a moment of time he saw somebody else that had something and now he's got to have it. It was Nike Air Force Ones. Everybody was wearing them to school. And he'd come home every day. I got to get me some Nike Air Force Ones, Dad. Everybody's got them. I, I said, well, why do you want to wear the same shoes? That? But Dad, they're so cool. I've just got to have them. Wore me out. But son, those aren't really the best for basketball. And they're white. You know how dirty white tennis shoes? They'll last you two weeks the way that you play in tennis shoes. But Dad, I want, I want some Nike Air Force One white low-top tennis shoes. And not the cheap ones, the one with the good badge on them. <laughs> persistent. And, and somewhere along the line as adults, we lose that persistence because it, it moved on from Nike Air Force One. I'm just picking a few because there, it's been a hundred things this year alone. But then it was a gaming PC. He, now he's got an Xbox, but he came he said, Dad, I know what I want for Christmas. This was three or four months ago. I know what I want for Christmas. I said, what do you want? He said, I want a gaming PC. I said, well, son, you have an Xbox, and it probably performs better than any gaming PC that we, in case you don't know, that's pricey. And so I kept trying to steer him away from it. And, and every conversation that we had, I saw a dead mouse. He said, you know, speaking of mouses, what kind of mouse do you think that I would need to get if I ever had a gaming PC? Every conversation, he was finding a way to bring it back to the thing that he was asking for, finding a way to bring it back into conversation. And, and he, would, he would, on his phone, he would start looking up things, and he would come and he would screenshot and text me screenshots of, Dad, do you think this would be a good one? Not, I'm not asking you, but if I ever could get one, do you think this would be a good one, Dad? <laughs> Persistent. So much so that it was getting on my last nerve. I don't want to talk about PCs anymore, son. And he started scheming because dad wasn't buying. He said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to find a way to get a gaming PC. And so he started uh, going around to neighbors' houses and knocking on their door. He said, uh, it was after the hurricane. He said, I will clean up the limbs in your yard for however many dollars. And, and, and every house he went to, the, when they paid it, he had add a few more dollars at the next house. <laughs> Smart kid. He said, if they're willing to pay 10 over there, maybe they'll pay 15 over here. And in a couple days' time, he made about $100 working in the neighborhood. And he came to me and he said, Dad, I, I've got some birthday money saved up. And I've got, I've got all of this. And Dad, you wouldn't even have to buy anything. Well, how am I going to say no? He wore me down. I was ready to buy him a PC before he ever worked one yard. Because he wore me down. And then, just over the last few days, it was a pellet gun. He got the gaming PC, by the way. He got it. And now he's moved on to a pellet gun. And we were at Thanksgiving, and, and uh, he, he went outside. He wanted to show Papa how good he could shoot his BB gun. And uh, so he was shooting across the yard, and, and I, I know he's my son, and this is going to sound like I'm making this up, but, I mean, the kid is a dead shot with a, a daisy BB gun. If, if you ever mess with him, don't mess with him, because he'll get you from across the yard. He can hit that can. We'll all miss it, and, and he'll just step right up and pop that thing every time. And uh, my, my dad made a mistake. 
My dad said, Rowan, you're so good, it's about time you graduated to a pellet gun. Well, he didn't know that Rowan already had his sights set on a pellet gun. And Rowan said, you know what, Papa? I'll just go ahead and take that off my Christmas list since I know that you're going to get me one. And then, after that happened, my dad, we all laughed about it. We had Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, later he sidled up to me that afternoon. He said, Dad, are we going Black Friday shopping? Now, let me tell you something. I've never been Black Friday shopping in my life. I don't like regular shopping, much less Black Friday shopping. Now, the wife and Jira, they love to go do that stuff, but I, I don't go. He said, Dad, are we going? I said, have you ever met me, son? <laughs> I'm not planning on it. He said, well, I thought we might go by Dick's Sporting Goods and see if they had any pellet guns there, Dad. Just to see what kind, in case I could put it on my Christmas list. And I could see he's already locked in on the pellet gun. And the next 30 days of my life are going to be conversations about pellet guns. But what he didn't know is Papa went the next morning and called me up and I went and picked him up and we went and met. And he said, I'm going to buy him that pellet gun today. I'm not going to make that baby wait. Because he, he had it in his mind and in his heart he was persistent. And, and children have this way. Now, as I'm saying this, I'm sure uh, most of us in here have children. You've experienced exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I found myself asking, why is he so persistent? Why is no? And, and, and I really don't say no to be fair. I say, well, son, I don't know if that's the best thing for you. And, and he'll, he'll say, okay. And he, he doesn't argue. He's not rebellious. But it doesn't seem to matter. Because within 30 minutes, the no is gone. And he's back talking about it again. He's back seeking after it again. He's knocking on the door again. He's, he's saying, Dad, I, I, I really, really want it. Don't you love me, Dad? That's a dirty one right there. Don't you love me? I found myself asking, why is he so persistent? Why? When he just heard no or not now. Or maybe someday, it's, it's as if these children, they are unfazed and undeterred. Why? Why doesn't it impact them when you say no? And, and I found myself really thinking about that. Like, what, what goes on in the mind of a 10, 11-year-old boy that makes him hear no and be willing to come back just a few minutes later and ask again for the same thing? We've hollered at him. We've had, we sat him down and had talks. Now, son, you can't wear us out about everything. Now, son, you, you, we'll, we'll talk about it, but you can't bug us to death about it because uh, you're going to run us crazy and we're going to go to jail. <laughs> Undeterred. It doesn't matter that it seems like a no. He just keeps coming back and asking. And I started trying to analyze that and figure out why. And, and I've just got a few reasons why that I, I think that that is the case. Number one, he has an overwhelming desire that he can't shake. It's not a, a, now it really is a passing fancy, but at his age, the pellet gun is all that there is in life once he sets his eyes on it. He has an unshakable desire. I really want it, Dad, but Dad, you know, I could, if, if I had a pellet gun, I could shoot birds. Now, if you love animals, close your ears. He said, and if I could shoot some birds, then, then I can go up and, and I could start maybe squirrel hunting with it. And, and, and maybe I can uh, eventually get my own rifle and deer hunt. He's, he's, he's pitching me this plan by which he will graduate into different levels of hunting. 
through this pellet gun because he's got a desire and he's finding ways for it to work. And it's not just because he has an overwhelming desire. But he also has an unshakable faith in the fact that whether I want to or not, I probably will because I love him. And even if I can't afford it or, or say that I can't afford it, God forgive me, they know that we love them enough that there, if there seems to be no way, that I will find a way to make it happen for my kids. And it's like he knows that that's my dad, and my dad will do things for me that nobody else will do for me. Uh, y'all don't know it yet, but I'm already preaching. The Lord began to talk to me through the life of, of my boy that so often we abandon our prayer and we abandon the things that we are seeking after and we, we say a prayer in an altar and we walk away from it and we never come again. But why, why does a child ask with importunity? It's because they really have a desire. They're very well aware of what they want. And second, they have this faith that there is a father that loves me. And because he loves me, as long as it's not bad for me, he will do whatever it takes to give me the things that I need and desire. And finally, he's come to expect me to do good things for him. In fact, I'll put it this way. He's come to expect me to cave. you got to hold out to make it look like you're a good parent. You know, you gotta, you got to draw it out over a week or two. But he expects me to do good things for him. Maybe even if he doesn't deserve it, and, and maybe even if he hasn't earned it, he's just, you see, he's got a history with me of asking for things and hearing no at first or not now or, or we'll think about it or maybe or mom and I will talk about it and he's got a history of coming back and realizing that, that if he just keeps asking that eventually mom and dad will come through and eventually I'll get what I wanted and so he's got this experience and, and he relies on the ex past experience of my goodness and he is projecting it on to his own future. And so what, what I begin to see is what Jesus is saying here in the scripture. That he calls us to this life of asking, of seeking and knocking. And if we really desire the things of God. And if we really desire the things that we're praying for. And if we believe that there is a God who loves us and wants to give us good things. And if we have a past experience, then we can learn to keep on asking even when it doesn't seem like the tide has broken. Children just know how to ask. They're a lot better at it than we are. We him and haul around. Well, you know, it'd be nice if somebody, you know, we kick our toe in the ground. Well, I sure wish somebody cooked me a birthday cake when it comes around birthday time. We know how to drop suggestions and all that, but... That's not what the scripture is talking about. Jesus said to him that asketh, he will receive. He that seeks, he will find. And him that knocketh, it shall be open. And so there, there's this controversy that I've run across in the past. And, and, and it can be kind of perplexing for people because they say, well, if I pray in faith about something, should I ever have to pray because I prayed in faith? And I've, I've had people tell me or, or ask me, should I keep praying for something once I've prayed for it? Because if I keep coming back and praying, did I not believe the first time that I prayed? 
and it throws people into a tizzy where they feel like if I prayed for it one time, I can't pray for it again. And so I want to dispel that right now because um, the Bible is clear that we are to keep asking, that we are to keep seeking, that we are to keep knocking. And so our text in, in Matthew 7 is the closing moments of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and it's a discourse stretching over two chapters of Scripture. It's regarded as revolutionary in its time. It lays forth the, the lifestyle of a Christian, and as Jesus winds down, he establishes the importance of prayer in the life of a believer. And he begins to tell them, if you will ask, then you it will be given to you. And if you will seek, you will find. And if you will knock, it will be opened. Because everyone who asks receives. Notice he says everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be open. And Jesus begins to lay out this theology that will stick with the early church. He says this. He says which one of you if he, his son asked him for bread will he give him a stone? Or, or uh, if he asked for a fish will he give him a serpent? And he says if you then are evil and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those that ask Him? Jesus tells His disciples that you need to ask. If you want something, ask for it. If you need something, ask for it. Because you've got a heavenly Father who wants to give good things to those that ask Him. And, and, and that's usually where we stop at verse 11. That's where we usually press pause on the scripture. We jump, we, we dance, we run the aisles. We, uh, we shout and rejoice over this revelation that God loves us and wants to give us good things. But the next verse is really what caught my eye. Matthew 7, 12 in the King James Version, it says, Therefore, somebody said therefore. It says, Therefore. All things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Like, whoo, record scratch, wait, hold on, what? We, we, we came out of prayer into the golden rule. <laughs> do unto others as you, but here's the thing. He said, therefore, and I heard a preacher say, and I've stolen it, and I'll use it probably till the day I die. When there's a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. And the way you do that is you, you read back into the scripture. Because the scripture says that Jesus is telling them that they need to ask, they need to seek, that they need to knock. Because there is a Father in heaven that wants to give them good things. And he says, therefore, therefore, which means for this reason, for this reason, he said, you should do to others as you would have them do to you. Because there is a God who loves you and wants to give you good things, you should do to others as you would have them do unto you. So prayer is effective when we are not mistreating others. What Jesus is saying is the way that you treat your fellow man directly relates to the way that you see and relate to God and receive answers to prayer. Therefore, he said, do good to others. Do unto them as you would have them do unto you. And he says, because God answers when we ask. He says, he goes on, I'm not going to get real deep into it, but he says this. He said, we should strive, therefore, to enter at the straight gate. 
the narrow gate. He says we should resist the pull of the crowd. We should resist the broad path that leads to destruction. Why? Because there is a God who answers prayer and wants to give us good things. Therefore, he says, because of this, we should beware false prophets. And resist the lies that they would lead you to believe because they are fruitless. And, and, and Jesus begins to elucidate to us that prayer is effective when it is rooted in truth. And when you believe a lie, it can interrupt your prayer life. It can interrupt your effectiveness in prayer. And so our prayers must be grounded in the truth. And, and he says, because God answers when we ask, and because there is a God who loves us and gives us good things, we should beware false prophets. It's all following the therefore. Therefore, he said, because God answers when we ask, therefore, we should build our life on the rock. And he gives the parable of the two men, one who builds on stone and one who builds on rock. He gives that parable. And in summing that parable up, what he's really saying is that we should obey and act upon his words. Because prayer is effective when we are obedient to his words. And that therefore, it was almost as if it was highlighted for me this morning as I was reading. Because Jesus is saying, because there is a God who answers prayer. It doesn't just boil down to how, how we vocalize our request to God. It doesn't just boil down to saying it, to naming it and claiming it, to blabbing it and grabbing it. But he's saying that asking is really a lifestyle. It's not just an arbitrary act. And, and I saw my son in this because when he wants something, everything becomes about that something. It's not just a request, it's every conversation, it's every 30 minutes, he's coming back to me, he's, he's asking friends about it, he's having conversations, his whole life is transformed by the pellet gun, it's all about the pellet gun, and I begin to see in the scripture that what Jesus is saying is that that when we are asking, when we are really asking, asking is more than just a momentary act. It is more than just articulating a request. It is more than vocalizing a desire, but the kind of asking that he is talking about is a lifestyle. These three words in verse 7, ask, seek, knock, are all in the Greek present imperative. And the present imperative means this, that this is a habitual lifestyle command from Jesus to be persistent. In other words, we would best interpret it as asking, seeking, and knocking. Because to him that asketh, or is asking, he shall receive. To him that is seeking, he shall find. And to him that is knocking, the door will be open. And, and Jesus is... is is telling us that this is more than just mentioning to God a list of things that we would like to have. But he's saying that you are aligning your whole life, your whole being, your whole self with this idea that there is a God who has some things for me. And not only do I ask for them in prayer, but I live it out through my lifestyle by how I treat others, by how I acclimate myself to truth, by how I relate to those around me. So asking is more than articulating. It's a it's a lifestyle. 
And so, listen to this. Jesus prayed the same prayer three different times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three different times until he received an answer. Paul also prayed three times about his thorn in the flesh until he received an answer. And so, what if, what if Paul quit after the first time? We wouldn't know that grace was sufficient. We'd be left wondering, will we ever get through this? I don't know. Paul stopped praying after the first time. But because he was persistent in his prayer, the Lord revealed to him it wasn't what he was looking for. He said, remove the thorn. And God said, you don't need the thorn removed. My grace is sufficient for thee. And, and, and you're going to make it, Paul. And we have this revelation because Paul wouldn't quit. And so, too often we quit all too easy and all too soon. Am I, am I preaching the truth? We quit too easy and too often. We seem to be wired for instant gratification. And when we don't see instant results, we just move on. We start wanting something else. Yet in this passage, Jesus is telling us that we should adopt a lifestyle of asking, of seeking, and of knocking. And if my prayer says I believe, but my lifestyle shows that I do not, I am really asking amiss. I'm taking a shot in the dark. I'm just throwing out a wishful thought into uh, eternity. But the reality is that, that if I'm living in alignment with what I am praying for and what I am believing for and I am living in alignment and I am seeking and I am knocking that God is saying that it, it shall be open unto you. James 4.3, he said this, he says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. You ask wrong. You're not doing that right. <laughs> and he says you ask to spend it on your own passion. So James says this. He's, he's striking at the same idea that when you ask and you don't receive, it's because you're missing the target. You're missing the point. If I believe that God is who he says he is, then I will not merely ask him to do my will. If I believe that I have a loving Heavenly Father, who is all-powerful, who is omniscient, who is omnipotent, who is all of these wonderful and great things, and He loves me, and He wants to deliver me good things. If I really believe that, and I'm just praying because I like to have a new this or that, I'm missing the point. If I'm praying to get what I want, I'm missing the point that this is the Heavenly Father we're talking about. And if He really is, a prayer answering, miracle working, circumstance changing God who wants good things for me, then I will live differently knowing that he has the power to come through when I pray. I will ask differently than I would ask if I was just trying to get the next little token blessing. No, it's a lifestyle of asking that Jesus is teaching us about in the Sermon on the Mount. Because if he really is who he says he is, if he really does love me, then I can count on the fact that when I ask according to his will, that he will do it. He may not do it when I think he should. Let me be real honest. He may not do it the way that I think he should. He probably won't because he's God and I'm not. He knows some stuff that I don't know. He sees some stuff that I don't see. But if I ask it according to the, his will, I love 1 John 5, 14. It says this, this is the confidence we have towards God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And listen to this. He says, and we know. Somebody say, we know. We know that uh, he hears us in whatever we ask. And we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. John says, this is our confidence. Is We're not just asking some uh, uh, separated, alienated being for a blessing. But he says, we have a confidence towards God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he is hearing us. And if we know that he is hearing us, we can be confident of the fact that if it's according to his will, that he will supply the request that we have been praying for. And so all that's left to us is just to do the praying. is just to do the seeking. And just to do the knocking. Consistency counts. Somebody say that. Consistency counts. When I was a kid... Um, we went on a field trip every year to Natural Bridge Caverns. And, and you drive up and it looks like a small cave, you know, uh, just a, a small cage. And you walk down into it and it opens up into these natural limestone caverns that are underneath the surface of the ground. On top it looks like, you know, if you, if you were to drive by you'd see a hole in the ground and that's it. And, and it just looks like normal land but underneath there is a vast network of caverns and caves and I remember as a kid thinking, you know, we walked in and water's dripping everywhere. And the guides would begin to explain to us that all this groundwater flowing down into this limestone through, through time would eat away at the limestone. And that, tr that gradual trickle of water that we could hear, there was a small stream that ran through the bottom of a, of a room that was probably about three times the size of this sanctuary. And, and it was almost like an underground river. And it was, it was just a trickle, not six inches wide. But that stream of water had carved out a cavern over a lot of time. And, and, and they began to say that, that it was just this trickle. And I, I looked as a kid and I thought, how did this make that? I don't get it. But it's the power of consistency. It didn't happen at once. In fact, to be able to construct such uh, a cave artificially would be a miracle of modern technology. We, we just don't have the ability to do it like that. But how, how, how then did these vast caves come about? It's accomplished by the applied pressure of groundwater flowing over time. And that trickle of water has the ability to dissolve rock and mineral and to move and hollow out spaces underground, massive caverns under the surface. Why? Not because of extreme force, but because of extreme persistence. It just keeps coming. It just keeps flowing. It just never stops. And so, it's, it's accomplished through consistency. And, and this is what Jesus is striking at, is the persistence in our prayer life. Is Sometimes we stop praying before we receive an answer because we're discouraged by what we see. Or really, by what we don't see. Amen? How many of you ever kind of backed off and said, well, maybe it's not the will of God. I, I prayed three or four times about it, you know. I believed. I said it would back off. But listen, consistency counts. This is what God is, is saying and speaking through these passages on prayer is that there's nothing quite so impacting as somebody who refuses to stop praying, refuses to stop believing. Why? Because I have a Father in heaven that loves me. And if I keep coming back, eventually, eventually he's going to come through for everything that I need. Everything that I, is in his will and according to his will, I'm just going to keep praying 
until I see it happen. I'm just going to keep applying pressure until I see it happen. And, and, and uh, uh, the, the great missionary, one of the first missionaries uh, that really ever uh, did Christian missions uh, in modern times was William Carey. And he only had an elementary education, but by the time he was in his teens, he could read the Bible in six different languages. He later became professor of Oriental languages at Fort William College in Calcutta. And his press at Serampore provided scriptures in over 40 languages and dialects for more than 300 million people, all with an elementary education. William Carey, father of modern missions. His secret was that he was a plotter. Not a P-L-O-T-T-R, but a P-L-O-D-D-R, a plotter. He just kept plodding along. Carrie said to his nephew, he said, If after my removal anyone should think it worth his while to write of my life, I will give you a criteria by which you may judge of its correctness. He says, If he gives me credit for being a plotter, he will have described me justly. Anything beyond this will be too much, because I can plod, and that is my only genius. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. And to this I owe everything. The etymologists tell us that our word plod comes from an old Middle English word that means a puddle. And the Danish have a similar word that means mud. A plotter is someone who's willing to get their feet wet. To walk through muddy places. To just keep going even when the path doesn't look clear. And even when the way doesn't seem clean. And how did this man accomplish so much? He said it wasn't because of my superior intellect. I just kept keeping on. I just kept pressing on. I just kept marching forward. I just kept pushing myself. And I just kept persevering. And this is what I hear the Spirit saying to us in 2020. is even when circumstances aren't changing. And even when we don't see the difference made in our prayer. Prayer always makes a difference. Keep plotting. Keep pressing. Keep pushing through. Shakespeare was wrong when he wrote that small have continual plotters ever won because history shows us that it is the plotters who finally make it. By perseverance, said Spurgeon, the snail even reached the ark. As you can save your family, you can see your prayers answered. You just have to refuse to give up. Is it all right if I just came here to encourage someone? You got to get like a kid who wants a pellet gun. You got to get like a kid who's obsessed with this year's brand new toy and just refuse to let God alone about it. If it matters that much, it's worth praying about. It's worth praying every day for. It's worth walking with God and, and, and constantly bringing it back up in conversation because the heart that truly desires will find a way to keep seeking. You see, asking is praying with expectancy, right? Seeking is praying with effort. Did you know this? I read this fact. It's pretty interesting. Half the bones in our body are found in our hands and our feet. Half of them in our hands and feet. What that tells me is God designed us to move, to act, to reach. And seeking is praying with effort. I'm not just throwing a request, but I'm living my life in alignment with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm, I'm walking with him daily. You know, it's funny. Rowan, when he wants something from me, he loves old dad. He wants to spend time. He wants to talk to dad. 
because he, there's something that he desires for me to do for him. And so praying with effort is seeking and knocking is praying with endurance. It's plotting forward. It's refusing to quit. It's believing God will come through even when you haven't seen it yet. And I believe that our greatest challenge in prayer is consistency because we often lose faith in the process of asking. We lose faith because we don't see progress, because we don't see change happening. We apply pressure and we give effort for a time. We muster our best and most eloquent prayers. We cry out in passion. We push and still the answer doesn't unfold like we thought it would. With time, our asking moves on to try another door to seek another answer. But scripture is so clear that persistence pays off. I love the story in Luke 18. I'm going to close as we stand. The little widow woman, we don't know what injustice happened to her family. We don't know. But the Bible says day after day she came to an unrighteous judge, an evil judge, seeking justice for her family. No idea what happened. Don't know if her son was falsely accused, cast into prison. We don't know that a family member was attacked and abused and the perpetrator still walked free. We don't know what it was. We just know that it seemed at every turn she would come to the judge and she just kept asking, avenge me of mine adversary. Avenge me of mine adversary. I like to imagine, I have a wild imagination from the first book of imagination that when he showed up at the coffee shop in the morning to get his morning coffee, she was standing outside the front door. Good morning, judge. Hey, would you mind Avenging me of my adversary. Oh. Come see me at my courthouse. He gets out at the courthouse and she's holding the front door open. Come on in, judge. By the way, would you avenge me of my adversary? Avenge me of my adversary. Avenge me of my adversary. Everywhere, every time that he looked up, she was back in his face again with the same request. And the Bible uses an interesting term here. It says, because she is wearing me out. She's wearing me out. He'd go home to his wife, like we all do, and say, man, this lady at work is wearing me out. She won't leave me alone about, my, about avenging her this adversary. Won't quit asking. And for a while, he refused while he said no I don't think so not doing it but listen to this but afterward after what after persistence after pressing after praying after seeking after knocking afterwards the Bible says that he said within himself though I fear not God nor regard man even though I have the power to say no and I can end this issue forever with her yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual And the Lord said this. This is what I close with tonight. The Lord said this. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? He says, will he take long? Will he withhold for a long time? And he says, no. I tell you, he will give 
them justice speedily. And nevertheless, here's what God wants to know. He says, will he find faith on the earth when the Son of Man comes? Here's what God wants to know is do you trust him enough to keep praying until it happens? Do you believe in his goodness enough not to quit when it doesn't seem like anything's changing? Do you trust in his everlasting goodness over your family and over your finances and over your life enough that even when it's not changing, that you'll keep coming day after day? Will he not speedily avenge them that cry out day and night? Here's the thing. You don't have to know how to pray. You just have to do it enough. You don't have to know the words to say. You just have to keep doing it until something happens. You don't have to have eloquent, beautiful prayers. You just have to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. And I tell you, if it's in the will of God, God will supply your every need according to his riches in glory. Would we lift our hands and pray? Lord, God, you know the needs that are represented in these lives. God, the prayers that have been prayed. God, some that have never been spoken to another human being, God. Lord, you know every prayer represented in this house. And I pray, God, that you would imbue us with a holy boldness to say, Lord, we're not giving up. We're not backing down. We're not quitting. We're believing for our kids. God, we're believing for our families. We're believing for our futures. We're not going to stop, God, because we know how much you love us. And we know how good you've been. And so, God, we're just going to keep on asking. We're just going to keep on seeking. We're going to keep on knocking. In Jesus' name.